Merry Christmas, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. John, chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen its glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's good to be here with you and to share the word with you and to celebrate Christ's birth. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Guide us, O oh God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. The Christmas season is special. Why? It's a good question, and so I looked it up. If I don't know, I, I Google it. Why is the Christmas special? Why is the Christmas season special? And uh, I found one Porsche, one blog post that said, uh, "What makes Christmas special to you? That's what you need to ask yourself." And in this uh, post, this author wrote, "Gifts you get, and gifts you receive, and gifts you give." Family and friends that you see. Family and friends you spend time with. One person wrote that it was her favorite time because she gets to chill with her family and watch her all-time favorite Christmas movie, The Grinch. But perhaps not everyone can relate. So I looked up more. I love lists, so if I, if I need to buy something, I would always write top 10 like espresso machines or something like that. And so I asked uh, Google, and Google answered. Uh, but there are lists that you can Google that can help you make Christmas special. Number one is take a Christmas light tour. Number two is look at famous displays. Number three, do Christmas crafts. Number four, do Christmas ornaments with your family. Number five, I especially liked, uh, build a gingerbread house. So Esther, maybe that's why, our, no, anyway. Um, but perhaps not everyone here can relate. So two days ago, I talked about the paradoxes in the birth of Christ, and maybe it's important to, to see that today, there are certain paradoxes between the Christmas that's shown in the Bible and the Christmas that we celebrate in our culture today. For instance, the humility and selflessness of the manger versus the culture of consumerism. The quietness of Bethlehem versus the bustle of the shopping mall. The star of heaven versus the blinking lights. The angel's incredible and fearful radiance versus Rudolph's shiny nose. The soberness of Mary as she treasured and pondered these things versus an almost carnival-like atmosphere 
we expect and maybe even want. But perhaps this is why Christmas can be such a confusing time for so many. But underneath it all, isn't this all a reflection of how deeply we desire to hear and see and feel a message of hope? Christmas is the celebration of Jesus, God incarnate here on earth. And if you hear this past Sunday, we learned that this incredible wonder is something to be treasured and pondered on. And in this first chapter of the Gospel of John, we see that Christ is the Word of God. We start from today's passage and the Word. How is Jesus Christ the Word? And what does that have anything to do with bringing hope to people? And the first century Hellenistic Jews that would be reading this particular book or letter, they would have immediately seen this as an incredible claim. Forgive the pun, but they would have literally hung on every word. The word logos in verse 1 that we recited in the responsive reading is used in reference to the beginning or Genesis. And we know, if you know your Bibles from Sunday school, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create it? When he said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. There is power in the word of God. And it is this word that we start off with. And we have also been created by the word. And so we also have words, don't we? And words are powerful. Our words are also powerful. It can either be used to build up or destroy life. There have been experiments after experiments testing these things on living things. Most recently, Ikea did something on plants. But I will take you back to the 13th century, where the German king, Frederick II, conducted this experiment to discover, and this was his intention, I want to discover what language children would naturally grow up to speak if no one talked to them. And of course, he immediately assumed and surmised that it would be German. Some things are so obvious, right? Of course they're going to speak German. So King Frederick took these babies from their mothers at birth and placed them in the cares of these nurses who were forbidden from talking to them. But there was a second rule imposed. Not only could you not talk to them, you couldn't touch the infants either. But he couldn't find out the result of his experiment because tragically, every single baby died. He didn't know what language they would grow up with because these babies could not survive with speech and touch. I want you to take that speech and touch, and I want you to put it in that corner. We're going to get back to it. Researchers have found little to suggest that isolation is really good for the psyche. And one of the main extreme forms of punishment when criminals or people who have been um, judged guilty are uh, in isolation, and that is uh, to get extremely isolated uh, where they have no light. No touch. No one talks to you. 
And this, uh, there was one study done in 1950 in the University of Wisconsin. The psychologist named Harry Harlow placed rhesus monkeys, these monkeys, in a custom-designed chamber. And he, they nicknamed it the pit of despair. It would be an upside-down pyramid like this. So it would be an upside-down pyramid, and they would grease up the sides, and they would put these monkeys in. And it would make the sides so slippery that the monkeys couldn't climb out. So he would test that on these monkeys. And they would find that these monkeys, after a day or two, would stop struggling. And they would just come and assume a hunched position, just in despair, giving up all hope. Just one to two days. But more interesting, he found that they would just stare blankly. And they would just rock for long periods of time, circling their cages repeatedly, and a lot of times mutilating themselves. And, but after they would take the, the monkeys out, they would readjust. But not those who had been in the cage too long. Twelve months he found that if you left these monkeys in there, it would be impossible. And there would be no way for these monkeys to ever socially <laughs> readjust. You couldn't really do that study on humans. So a year later, researchers at McGill University decided to pay a group of male graduate students, would you like to do this study with us? And they would be put in these small chambers with only a bed for an experiment on sensory deprivation. They could leave these isolated chambers to use the bathroom, but that's it. They would wear goggles and they would put earphones to limit their sight and hearing and gloves to limit their sense of touch. The plan was to observe these students. Remember, these are volunteers and they would be paid. But the plan was to observe these students for six weeks. But not one student lasted more than seven days. Every single student lost the ability, and this is quote in quotes, to think clearly about anything for any length of time. And others began to suffer hallucinations. One man could see nothing but dogs. And one of the study's collaborators wrote, another nothing but eyeglasses of various types and so on. And so what do we understand? That we recognize as humans the importance of speech and touch in our lives. But I want to contend to you today that it isn't just simply speech and touch, because speech and touch has been used to hurt and to harm and to do a great disservice to humanity. It isn't just simply speech and touch as much as we want it. It is the quality of speech and touch that is important. Moses knew this when God told him, I am going to give the Israelites everything that you want. I'm going to send you to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. I'm going to send an angel. He's going to obliterate all your enemies for you. Only this, I will not go with you because you are too sinful. This is in Exodus 33. And when God himself wouldn't go with them, immediately Moses replied, no, no. How would we call ourselves 
God's people if God is not with us? So speech and touch represent presence. And as God's people, we yearn for his presence. We yearn to hear his voice. We yearn to be touched by the living creator. And if you don't know who Jesus Christ is as your savior, and you're hearing this today, and you recognize that your spirit is parched and desperate, know that it is not because of any eloquence in my words, but it is God's word that is rending your heart because he is calling you, because you are his. Your sin that once separated you, the sin that you hopelessly cling on to, that sin that only does not bring life but brings death, God is calling you out of because you are his. And he is calling you to repent and follow him. When Moses goes, no, how can we call ourselves God's people if God is not with us? God relents and he says he will go with his people. And Moses does something really interesting. Here, Moses, after God says, okay, I'll go with you. Moses goes, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. Post-biblical rabbinical writings call this, and this word isn't in the Bible, but post-biblical rabbinical writings, they call this the Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory means glory manifest physically, something that you see and feel. Moses wanted to see God's glory physically manifested. And God says what to Moses? He goes, no, no. And that's why when we read this line here in John, we, say this we see this incredible line, so the word became flesh. The Shekinah glory did appear. And he is among us, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the son, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the word we hear that it says dwelt or tabernacled. And the root word is skene, this Greek word, which means he was among us. God did live among us. And we have seen the physical manifestation of his Shekinah glory. When you say Shekinah glory, we know the answer to Shekinah glory. What is Shekinah glory? It's Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating Jesus. He's come among us, walked among us, lived among us. But what about now? How will the world know? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked among us and since he walked on this earth. And Jesus tells his people this. Before he left and promised that he would come again, he would send his church the Holy Spirit. And when he sends his church the Holy Spirit, he calls his church his body. We are his body. 
We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now we are called to be his body, just as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body. So what does that mean? How is this all correlated? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifest among us. God loved us so much that he sent his Shekinah glory. He sent his manifest glory. That's Jesus. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We now live through him. The longing that people have to see and meet Christ, to experience God's love, we have been now charged to bring them the good news as his body. How good is this news? And this is exactly what we mean when we say, Merry Christmas. I bring you good news. Jesus Christ is alive and he is our Savior. How good is this good news? Uh, in ancient days, when the army of any country would go out for war, the people didn't have social media. So they didn't actually like post, like, oh, we're killing them, hoorah, or anything like that. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. And so sometimes you wouldn't hear back from the army that was sent out for many years, depending on the war. And, but after the war was over, a messenger would be sent back. And a lot of times people would write that you can tell what kind of message they were bringing back. So you would see from across whoever the lookout was on top of the wall, you would see a scout or a messenger coming back, traversing the mountains. And if you saw someone just dragging their feet like this, you could imagine what kind of news they were bringing. However, if the lookout saw them from far away and they had won, there was almost a spring in this messenger's step. No matter how far they traveled, and they would be waving their arms saying, we won, we won. The war is won. There was no hope for us when we were trapped in and surrounded by evil and sin. Continually bringing down to a more hopeless and hopeless and hopeless state. But God sent his son and we celebrate that today. But not only that, it's through his death and resurrection that he defeats sin. The hopelessness that engulfed mankind and all of creation gets obliterated. And the good news that we have is exactly that. That's why Isaiah could emphatically and with great elation write, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The war is won. We are now finally free to live out the lives we were meant to live out in joy, worshiping the one true God and loving one another. Christmas, what does Christmas mean? Uh, Christmas is made up of two words. Many people know this, right? Christ and Mass. A lot of people think Mass is a coming together, but it's not. Uh, mass is from the Latin word missa, 
Missa is where we get the word like mission or missio. It means to go or to be sent. So it has two meanings. Christ mass or Christ missa means God sent Christ to us. But it also has another meaning. Christmas also means Christ now sends us and dismisses us to share this good news. My church, brothers and sisters, we have been given this incredible good news. You know what we are now? We are now brothers and sisters for all eternity because of Christ. That's good news. That's the news we were called and charged to share with great elation, remembering that it's the biblical prophets who wrote, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I want to read this one poem for you as I end. And it's a poem by Christina Rossetti. In 1885, she wrote this. And it's called Love Came Down at Christmas. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead. Love incarnate. Love divine. Worship we our Jesus. But wherewith for sacred sign. Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. Merry Christmas, everybody. God sent his son and he has fought and won the war for us. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.